0: If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Dealing with a topic uh, this morning, and I I believe it's going to take me a couple weeks to get through it, It deals with judging. And this is a topic with a lot of different opinions, thoughts, uh, and so forth. So in Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me there? I've entitled this sermon, Measuring the Log and Avoiding the Hogs. And uh, you'll... (laughs) You'll see here in just a moment on that. But if you have your Bible, would you follow along with me as I read Matthew chapter 7 Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, or if you're measuring someone else, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote? That mote is a splinter that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to my brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye? And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly, and he out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy Excuse me, unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again, and rend you. An, author, an usher was speaking to another usher, and he said, We have nothing but good, kind Christians in this church. Until you try to seat them in someone else's pew. <laughs> I, that's not true here, but uh, um, I trust. But uh, this verse is, you know, as we think about this verse here, judge not, and that's a, a phrase that's many times used of, of Christians, particularly, I, I believe, uh, towards Christians. This uh, statement is misapplied, misquoted, and taken out of context, and altogether twisted from the meaning Christ gave. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been going through it, uh, we've been discussing our relationship to God, our relationship with things, and also, and now here, God is dealing with our relationship with others. Uh, Rod uh, Mattoon, he makes a comment on it. He says there's a lot of confusion today about the matter of judging a person and what it means to judge someone else. If a a church disciplines a member or if a pastor preaches against sin or confronts someone about their sin... He is sometimes accused of judging that person when that is not the case at all. He is doing what the Bible teaches to do. He is exercising spiritual discernment and taking steps to salvage or restore a wayward Christian. Now, the way that this phrase is many times used, judge not, you'll hear from the mountaintops many times of many individuals. This phrase is used in connection with, who are you to judge me? Jesus told us never to judge people, only to love them, says one person. And this perspective flows from an individualistic mindset in which the basis of morality and justice ought to be independently determined. determined, Shortening the intention of Jesus' statement to practically mean do not judge. This line of thought is standards. I'm reading here something for you, Christianity.com. The standard that there is no objective truth or morality and that we don't need to be held responsible for our behavior. This desire for moral independence fits well with an individualistic society. But comes up short with the context of the following verses when Jesus describes stringent standards for the behavior of his followers, noting how the path of life is narrow. If you look in verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which lead in the life, and few the be that find it. And we recognize and discern false prophets. Look with me, verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? He's, he, so he's talking here uh, about very people that, with whom God is giving judgment. Now, how can Jesus be opening chapter 7 by telling us not to judge and then provide specific measures and categories of individuals? And really telling us about false prophets and foolish men. And as we think about this passage of Scripture, uh, it's not about the judging, but it is about a critical spirit. You see, the Bible, there's a very clear and objective way with which we are to live our lives. John chapter 7, verse 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And what God is calling us to do is there is to be an assessment of, of a situation. There is not to be a critical spirit towards others. God doesn't want us to have a critical spirit. And I'm going to give some differentiation. I'm, I'm going to talk about a lot of different things in this sermon. And this is one of those sensitive topics. And I, and I understand that. And I, and, I, and I intend no part of this. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be harsh. But this is where we're at in the scriptures. How do I assess a situation? Uh, What if the the assessment of a situation and the discussion with someone doesn't go the way I think it should? How am I to respond to that? How am I to behave when things just, uh, there's a difference of opinion? And now we must exercise proper judgment. God's called us to that but not a hypocritical judgment. And God has called us that we ought not to act in a mean, vindictive, or revengeful manner. The Bible is our standard for what is right. The Bible, there is nothing outside of the word of God. The Bible is all I need for life and godliness. It's the truth. There's no extra revelation that God gives us. It's this book. Revelation 22, for I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city from the things which are written in this book. This book is our standard for what is right. Now this book is, is not a hammer to beat someone over the head with. Their judgment, what all judgment is, is an assessment of a situation with which you come to a conclusion. Now, your spirit and your attitude as you engage a situation is very, very important. God's condemnation here is not of making an assessment, but it is of a critical spirit. And a critical spirit, you'll reap what you sow. You see, a critical and or unforgiving spirit is the death of so many Christians. And it does incalculable hurt. And so the principle this morning, and I trust I'll I'll deal very gently with this, but may we have the heart of Christ as we correctly judge in spirit and in truth. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I I love you, and I come before you this morning, and I need your help. Father, all of us have our ideas on things, and Lord, the only standard by which we are to measure our life is the Word of God. The only revelation is the Word of God that you have clearly given to us. It's canonized. It's the standard. And Father, I pray today as I preach your holy Word, every word that I speak, Lord, I pray that it would be accurate, precise. And Father, that I would not say anything against what your word teaches. And Lord, you go before us. And we'll trust you, Lord, as we look to your word. I pray that you would help all of us to judge and establish and verify through the word of God. Father, should there be someone this morning that is not saved, may they realize the judgment of you, and Lord, if they, don't have a, if they have not put their faith in you, Lord, may they do that today. And so God, I commit all of this to you. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. I want to look at, first of all, the epidemic of a critical spirit. Would you look with me at Ezekiel chapter 16? The epidemic of a critical spirit. And I just want to, you know, really, this is, and I'm using several passages of scripture here. Uh, How easy is it to have a critical spirit, uh, wherein the words with which I'm speaking uh, are as a proudful boasting of my position of prominence over someone else? Now, to make an assessment of an individual is not inherently wrong. But, and I'm going to deal with this, but in short, the scripture here is saying, listen, we ought to be evaluating ourselves first. What in my life, what sins are in my life before I engage with others? And and I'll deal with how to engage that and what God calls us to in the standard by which we do this. And and I'm trying to take this very methodically, but I want us that we find an epidemic of a critical spirit all throughout the scriptures, And I find, I would say, even today in our modern era. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 51. Neither hath Samaria committed half of thy sins. Now he's talking, he's dealing with uh, Judah. Now Samaria here in the northern kingdom, there's ten tribes of Israel. They're separated from Judah and Benjamin. And uh, neither has Samaria committed half of thy sins, but thou hast multiplied thine abominations more than they, and hast justified thy sisters in all thine abomination which thou hast done. So Judah is saying, well, we're better than Samaria. We're not, you know, in in Samaria, if you remember, Samaria would marry uh, some, they were Jews who had married some of those who were Gentiles. And so there was some intermarriage there. And, well, we are pure Jews, and, and we follow the laws of God, and we're Judah, we're of the lineage of David, and, you know, and so on and so forth. And they have all these traditions with which they can puff themselves up. And the northern kingdom had already, you know, been destroyed And going forth. Thou also, which hast judged thy sister, uh, in verse 53, excuse me, or no, did I read verse 52? I don't remember, but I'll read it again if I did. Thou also, which hast judged thy sister, bear thine own shame for thy sins, that thou hast committed more abominable than they, they are more righteous than thou. Yea, be thou confounded also, and bear thy shame, in that thou hast justified thy sisters. When I shall bring again their captivity, the captivity of Sodom and her daughters, and the captivity of Samaria and her daughters, then will I bring again the captivity of thy captives in the midst of them, that thou mayest, that thou mayest bear thine own shame, and mayest be confounded in all that thou hast done, and that thou art a comfort unto them. When thy sisters, Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former estate in Samaria, and her daughters shall return to their former estate, then thou and thy daughters shall return to your former state, but here is a critical spirit of Judah overlooking, well, we're not going to be destroyed like the northern kingdom because we're not like them. And here is Ezekiel the prophet and the word of God is God saying, listen, your works are worse than they. There's a judgment here, but the judgment is, Judah, your critical spirit. Look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 12. On another incident, Incident, excuse me, on this. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now in this scenario, David has had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba and he's murdered her husband. Look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 12 and that's with which we enter into this chapter. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David and he came unto him and said unto him, Uh, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, and thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee my master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had not been too little, I would moreover have given to thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Here is a critical spirit, David. Nathan comes to him, tells him about this rich man that takes this poor man's singular lamb to eat it. And David's incensed. David's a shepherd, not realizing that he had taken a man's wife to be his wife and killed the man. There's a critical spirit towards others without an assessment of his own personal wrongdoing. And realize in Psalm 51, as David pours out his heart to God, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from Uh, From me, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And the fact is, here in David, in Psalm 51, he's bearing the shame. Ezekiel talked about a shame as they were there in their critical spirit. Now, as we come to our passage of Scripture here, and we find this, you'll find this all throughout the Scriptures, You'll find this all throughout our world uh, of a critical spirit, quick to harm others with our words, and yet slow to look at ourselves. And uh, I will talk more on that, but the idea of judge here is to judge, pass judgment upon or express an opinion about. Now, as Jesus says, judge not, this is an imperative, it's a command with a very forceful emphasis it is binding upon our will. It's, it's, it's a strong statement. But what is really the meaning of this passage of Scripture? You know, find it with me in Matthew 7 6 give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast your pearls before a swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. The verse is not speaking in regards to don't speak anything offensive. Because in verse 6. He's speaking about people with whom would be categorized as dogs and hogs. It's obviously, you know, and so there's a discernment, there's a consideration. God's command here is don't God's command here is not a judgment by the civil courts. But we understand that if we get in trouble with the law. Then in Titus three one, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So that he's saying, don't speak evil. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And First Peter two, submit yourselves. To everyone it's a man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as to supreme or unto governors as unto them, which are sent by him for the punishment of evil-doers. So again, he's not talking about a judgment by the civil magistrates, by justices, if you would. Here's another thing. Those who would say to a Christian, "Don't judge," and, and yet, our world judges all the time. There's a critical spirit towards someone that wants to serve Jesus. Essentially, this idea of judge not is don't accuse me of wrong or don't offend me or make me feel sad for my wrong actions. Now, I understand, and and what I'm saying now, I I trust... (laughs) how you say it how you deliver it your countenance all of that it matters because if you're coming uh with a uh, with a uh, with an attitude of ready to throw the gabble down then you're not coming in compassion so that's not what I'm I'm not talking about you did what blah, blah, blah. and you know you just spew out all of them you know <laughs> and So here's several, uh, there's 51 quotes on don't judge, and all secular, and I'm not reading all 51, I'll read several of them, and how the world judges today. The world tells us, don't judge! And yet, there's always criticism. There's a critical spirit towards us. Towards people in general. When someone judges you, it isn't actually about you, it's about them and their own insecurities, limitations, and needs. Now, if someone is in a trade, or you're playing a sport, and the, and the coach says, "Listen, if you follow this fundamental principle of saying you're playing hockey, if you follow this fundamental principle of how to use your stick and, and how to you know move your skates, I'm not a hockey player, so <laughs> I'm very uh, ignorant on that, but if the the coach is giving you some instructions because of his years of experience, he's making a judgment, but it's for your correction and your betterment. If you're in education, you're teaching, and maybe you're giving correction, so you're making some sort of assessment of a lack of uh, actions on a particular person's behalf with which you want to correct and improve that person. Judging one person, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. And we are entitled to grace, but if I see someone going to jump off a cliff, I'm going to try to stop them, because that's a, that's a direction that is harmful to that individual. If someone goes to the bridge to jump from the bridge, I'm hoping someone would try to stop them. Because that jump is very destructive and hurtful. And Joel Edgerton said, I'm really good at judging and observing other people, but not myself, and that is very true. You realize in Acts chapter 7, verses 58 through 60, the, uh, the, uh, Stephen, who was a, a deacon there in the church of Jerusalem, and he preached uh, against the religious, he preached against... Uh, the wrong direction. He preached against the religiosity, wrong doctrine. And they cast him out of the city. Acts chapter 7. You can read with me here. You know, here's how really we find worldly hypocrisy displayed. Acts chapter 7. I I know I'm maybe very slow in in this, but I want to kind of just get our minds thinking on this idea of judge not. You know, we're not supposed to judge. Uh, I'm not supposed to offend And I want to show you that this happens all the time. Now, this is not a retaliatory, or it's not, I'm getting revenge because you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. That's not the Christian atmosphere at all. That oughtn't ever be a Christian attitude. But the worldly hypocrisy of don't judge me because I'm doing wrong, or maybe I'm going a direction which is not towards God which will lead to eternal judgment by God and I'm concerned about that person out of love for that person. I'm not going to them with a, with a haughty spirit and I'm not going to them with an uncompassionate spirit but I'm going them with a brokenness and a humility saying please don't go that direction. I'm still making a judgment. I'm making an assessment. But it's the attitude of my heart. It's the disposition, the countenance with which I'm I'm engaging this individual. But truth is truth. And error is error. If someone's trying to make a direction through the bush with a compass, and, and you are told to go such and such a direction on your compass... If your compass is off by just a fraction and you're going a long distance, you won't reach your destination. So it would be nice to have a correct compass that's going to get you to the destination you want to go. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, uh, verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. And cast him out of the city, this is Stephen, and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. They stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. They didn't want to hear him, so they judged him worthy of death, and they killed him. John the Baptist, he told Herod, hey, you ought not to have your brother's wife. You're not to be sleeping with your brother's wife. And she didn't like it, and so she had his head cut off. I I, I dare say that that's some judgment. But that wasn't for his betterment. Or how about with Jesus, who was innocent, and the mob said, crucify him. I dare say that's some judgment. Of a critical spirit for the destruction of an individual. In Acts chapter 19, Paul was preaching and there the people came against him saying, you know, they came great as Diana of the Ephesians. He preached against the idolatry of the city they were in and, and the pagans. He upset them and they wanted, they cast him out or they wanted to destroy him. I mean, the, the idol makers were like, hey, our whole business is going to be destroyed if we let Paul preach. In the minds of many, critical spirit seeks for the harm, the hurt, and the destruction of someone else. But a proper judgment, an assessment of a situation, is going to desire that an individual, and I'm going to show you some precedents of judging in the scriptures here shortly, but I'm desiring as I make some statements based upon truth of God's word, this is my foundation. That I want the other person to be bettered. I want to help them to get closer to God, get closer to Christ. The ideal Christian, especially the ideal preacher, is cons- in, in, in this idea of don't judge, is considered to be a sissy, undiscerning, indulgent, all-accepting jellyfish without any backbone who lives out the misinterpretation of judgment and doesn't rock the boat or ruffle any feathers. But it's, a, it's kind of, if you would say, ironic, as I mentioned this idea of what we had before. They stoned Stephen, they killed John the Baptist, they murdered Jesus, they, tried to, they stoned Paul, and all of these other things that happen today because we disagree. The cancel culture, you, they disagree, so we'll cancel them. I dare say that's quite a heavy opinion of seeking for the destruction of someone else. So in Jesus' statement here, the judge not, it's, now what is any precedence of judging that we find in the scriptures? In 2 Corinthians, I'd like you to look with me here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, there's a precedence of judging, and we see the end result of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If I'm giving out truth for, uh, to throw a hammer down, to beef up my own pride, then that's a critical spirit. And that is destructive. But if I'm putting truth out that the other individual would correct a wrong direction then there's something here look with me at to me in second corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 but if our gospel be hid it is hid to them that are lost in whom the god of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of christ who is the image of god should shine unto them for we preach not ourselves but christ Jesus the lord and ourselves your servants for jesus sake and i want to ask you this jesus you know, in John 14, says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's a very singular focus. That's a very singular path. And so and he said, if our gospel is hid, so we've got to reveal the gospel. There's very many different religions in the world today. But the Bible tells us there's one way to Jesus. I'm making an assessment, I'm making a declaration which could be determined as judging, but with the idea and the end goal of bringing people to Jesus, the truth, the way, the life. Because truth, you can argue with truth, but truth is truth. Jehovah, and the divergent worldviews, and Jehovah or God, there's some differing uh, opinions. In Isaiah chapter 57, But draw near hither, ye sons of the sorceress, the seed of the adulterer and the whore. Against whom do ye sport yourselves? Against whom make ye a wide mouth and draw out the tongue? Are ye not children of transgression, a seed of falsehood? So God takes Judah to task for her idolatry. God is saying, listen, you're going the wrong direction. You have a spiritual direction towards a, uh, really, in the faith, it's an adulterous faith where I'm not faithful to God, but I'm faithful to the worship of other objects. And God makes a differentiation how about another individual in the scriptures, John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10? But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He calls these Pharisees and Sadducees vipers. He's making an assessment of their spiritual condition. He said, Listen the direction you're going spiritually towards God is not correct. Do you realize in, in Jesus' life, look with me at uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. Isaiah chapter 8, let's look at the next precedence of, of another example in scripture, of, of, of Scripture where there is assessment. I mean, John the Baptist, he didn't hold back. Because he realizes these Pharisees and Sadducees, if people follow the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they will not get to God. They will not have a reconciled relationship with God. They will not reach heaven. Because there is wrong and errant doctrine. So there is an assessment given. And these men were very filled up with pride and arrogance. John the Baptist would call them vipers. I dare say that that's some sort of judgment. But he wants to warn the people, these people are dangerous. There's the end goal for the betterment and the benefit of others. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13 a messianic prophecy, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread and he shall be for a sanctuary but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Understand this, this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, a rock of offense. Remember, Israel wanted to crucify Christ. He was a stone of stumbling. In Matthew chapter 6, 2, 6, 5, 6, 16, Jesus calls these Pharisees hypocrites. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking of hypocrisy. You're saying one thing and doing another, and this critical spirit... I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 10. Christian, you must be fully persuaded in your own mind upon the Word of God. This is our standard for what is right. And hence, there's always an emphasis here in this church upon doctrine because doctrine is the standard by which I'm evaluated by God. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 through 38... Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. What? Huh? I am not come to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foe shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Following Christ is a statement. I'm going to follow Jesus before I follow my family. It's Jesus first. Because it's who Jesus is. And Luke chapter 12 is a parallel passage with this. As a cross reference, Luke 12, 51 through 53. Jesus says there's going to be divisions. So this idea of judge not and don't offend and don't create uh, any problems, this is not according to God's word. So if someone says don't judge, the world naturally judges. I mean, by the very fact they're saying don't judge, they're making a judgment that you're judging them. That you're making an assessment of that something uh, is maybe not right. Now it could also be just Uh, and your hypocrisy, and your critical spirit. Sometimes, when we are doing wrong, we want to blame others to make ourselves feel good. And that's what Jesus is speaking against. That's the hypocrisy. Jesus would call these religious rulers generation of vipers, Matthew 12, 34. Hypocrites, Matthew 15. Look with me in Matthew 15, verse 11. Is it ever right to offend Now, as I'm teaching this and preaching through God's word, please don't think, oh, well, pastor's teaching, we can judge, so now I can, bah. Yeah. I'm not teaching that at all. Because the attitude I'm approaching a situation ought to always, be, as the scriptures always tell us, in humility. Pride is an abomination to God, as Proverbs tells us. Okay? And that's a critical spirit. But if I'm going to, you know what, you're going to have people that are going to disagree with you. You might offend people, but make sure in your offense, you're standing not only in truth, but you're acting in truth. It's how you del- It's what you believe, but it's also how you deliver the message. The deliverance of the message really does give an indication of the condition of your heart. In Matthew 15, verse 11, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. Then came his disciples and said to him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard the saying? That word offended there is to shock through word or action, to give offense to, to anger, to shock. And Jesus did offend them. In verse 13, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind, leaders of the blind, and the blind lead the blind. Both shall fall into the ditch. Jesus is saying, Friend, these religious leaders are leading you down a direction which is disastrous. The blind are leading the blind. He's making an assessment on the spiritual state of these individuals. In Matthew 21, Jesus goes into the temple and casts, overthrows the tables of the money changers, upseats the seats of them that sell doves. My house shall be called the house of prayer, he says. But ye have made it a den of thieves. He's calling these people robbers. But Jesus understands that they're merchandising God's people for their own personal benefit. So Jesus is making a judgment, if you would, an assessment, a discernment. I'd like you to look with me at Matthew 23. And I'm going to have to, I'm not going to be able to get to Paul's life uh, this morning, but in uh, Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23, verse 12. And whosoever shall, exalt himself shall, be, uh, shall ex- exalt himself shall be a base, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, nor neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. He says, listen, Your false doctrine is closing people's path to a reconciliation with God. In verse 14, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayer. Therefore shall you receive the greater damnation. He says, Listen, you're willing to foreclose a mortgage on an impoverished widow. You're about the money. Verse 15, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. He says, listen, you go to great efforts to a proselytize or to convert people to your belief, but he says your false belief is making it more difficult for them to see the path to life. Verses 16 through 22, he's talking about hair splitting and, and, and rabbis' traditions. In verse 19, ye fools and blind. That word fools there in Greek is moros, from which we get the English word moron. Jesus is done with their hypocrisy. In verses 23 through 24, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought to yet have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. He says, you might be saying, this person comes into the temple and they act like this and maybe they're a little bit off, but you're not concerned about their heart. They might not dress right, they might not talk right, but you're more concerned about that than you are about their heart and relationship to God. (laughs) Understand, Jesus is like, these Pharisees have wrong doctrine that is hurting a lot of people. Verse twenty-five and twenty-six. For you make uh, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within there full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter; that the outside also, that the outside of them may be clean also. He says, Listen, you're so focused on what people do on the outside, you're not concerned on what's on the inside. You know, we can talk right, we can look the whole Christian part. We can put a smile on our face, but inwardly our heart is so far from God. And I, I believe Christians ought to have a smile on their face and a joy in their countenance. If they come in all grumpy and grouchy, and, and, and that's not Christ-like. But I want to tell you here, we need to focus on the heart, and from the heart will then change our countenance. And Jesus is saying these guys are hypocrites. They're critical. They're destroying people. And Jesus is making some judgments against them, some assessments. Verses 29 through 33, you can read this, but Jesus is saying, listen, you adore the tombs of the prophets and you adore them and and you you have feast days and and you put all this adoration over these tombs of the prophets and, and priests, but he said you are the very people that would have murdered these prophets and priests. Quite the that's quite the statement there. And Jesus calls these religious rulers serpents, vipers, and hell-bound. He questions them about escaping the damnation of hell. The answer is obvious: these men are not going to escape. They're going down a wrong direction. The gauntlet had been cast down, Jesus challenged them to do something about it. No more was he teaching the gospel of the kingdom or even of salvation. He fired broadside after broadside at the hypocrisy of his enemies. I'm reading from David Sorensen's commentary. The cross was just ahead and he knew it. He thus spared no words against these wicked hypocrites, the religious leaders of official Israel. Righteous indignation fairly poured forth from our Lord. And just because there might be signs and wonders from an individual, Matthew twenty four twenty four, for there shall rise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. Just because there are signs and wonders doesn't mean they're of God. And Jesus would even say about Isaiah that they prophesy. You know, people honor me with their lips. They would. You know, they were just hypocrites. After hypocrites. Light is at odds with darkness. And Jesus would even go on to say in John 8, 42, you have your father, in eight forty four, you have your father, the devil, and the less your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus is saying, you guys speak lies. It's not truth. Now, I want to ask you the question, where does truth come from? Truth comes from the Word of God. This is our standard. And the fact is, as Jesus is saying, measure the log, he's saying, listen, first of all, these Pharisees, they really do need to look within them. They need to look at their own lives spiritually. They're not right with God. Uh, you know, and, and they're criticizing others. You know, even in the scenario of the woman caught in adultery and Jesus writes on the ground and then they all start walking away. And I understood, hey, there's some things in my life that aren't right. So in this judge not statement, it's not that I'm telling someone something that might offend them, because Jesus did, the apostles did, Stephen did, I mean, so on and so forth. That is not my aim to offend anyone. The aim and the objective of the dissemination of the giving of information or giving of, of, of truth of God's word as that of a correction towards God. I want to see them be all that God made them to be and it always comes back to this book as the standard absolute standard and Paul in the very sense I'll have to talk a little bit more about this but uh, just understand that Paul would do very similar as the others that we have spoken to. In Christian today, may we look at our lives, look at our assessments of others, and ask God, am I one with a critical spirit? Father, am I one that, with whom seeks the destruction of another? Or am I seeking, as I'm making this assessment, as I'm maybe making some words, am I hoping that the other person would be bettered? and closer to Christ. By bettered, I'm saying they'll draw closer to Christ. Because it's, it's the delivery of truth that is so important. Measure the log and avoid the hogs. And I'll talk more about this, Lord willing, next week, but I trust as you think about these principles this morning, there is a precedence of judging and a critical spirit all over our world today. It just happens. But a Christians and, and Jesus and John the Baptist, they weren't doing it to justify mean, arrogant, revengeful speech. And I have seen that sometimes, you know, some preaching, rah, rah, you know. I'm not trying to do that to justify that. I am saying that the attitude with which I'm approaching someone that might be going in a wrong direction, I could, offend, I could potentially offend them. Jesus offended people. But I ought to consider my heart, consider where I'm at, consider my own life. And as I come to them, am I, and the question I want to ask is, am I desiring the betterment of that person closer to Christ? That's the condition I ought to have in my heart. Am I trying to draw that person closer to the truth of Jesus and the standard of his word? And so as you think on these truths this morning, I trust, I know I didn't deal a lot with necessarily salvation, but you see, there is no, the, the God's judgment towards us, the default state is we're all judged sinners. We all, our default state is we will go to judgment. And Jesus came to rescue us from that. And maybe you've never allowed Jesus to rescue you. You've never received the gift of Jesus by faith and ask him to forgive you and be your savior. If you've never done that, I trust that you do that this morning in Christian Think about, when I'm making statements, why am I making these statements? Is there something in my life? Am I going with a critical spirit? Or am I going with a proper judgment, seeking the betterment of the other person? As so we come to a time of invitation, if I can have Mrs. Pack come forward, please. I trust with all heads bowed and eyes closed this morning that you'd think about what has been spoken and you'd really focus on what does God say? Am I approaching life in a right manner? Is my heart right? If you're going to judge, you had better understand. There's going to be a judgment back on you and, and understanding, is my heart right? Christian, may we push off a critical spirit, an unforgiving spirit, and embrace a desire that others would be bettered and closer to Christ. As the music plays this morning, I trust where you're seated that you would just spend some time praying and talking to God, however the Spirit of God spoke to you this morning. And this is a time we normally do every service and opportunity to give each person to reflect on what was spoken and to consider our own lives. Lord, what is it in my life? Maybe I have a critical spirit. Maybe I'm angry and frustrated with others. And I want to give them a piece of my mind. It could very well be that's a critical spirit. Jesus spoke and John the Baptist spoke and others spoke, but they did it realizing there's a wrong direction. There's truth that has been trampled on. and They sought for those to get right with God and understand what it's like to walk in liberty with Christ. just a moment longer as the the music plays. If, my friend, this morning you don't know for sure where you're going to be when this life is over, I'd love to sit down with you with a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that Jesus is your Savior and Christian. May we consider, am I living with a critical spirit or am I living in the truth of God's Word, not only living, but applying truth. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for being an amazing Savior. And Father, we understand that our world, it tells us not to judge, but it just doesn't want an accountability with truth. And Father, I pray as we encounter falsehoods that, Lord, we would do so uh, with a heart that is serious about seeing people come to know you, being reconciled and Lord, not destroying, but to lift up. Father, I thank you for being an amazing Savior. God, go before us and guide us and direct us. And Lord, I pray that we'd really look at our own hearts and we'd understand where I'm at. Because, Father, you've also called us to help. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd embolden us and strengthen us to be the witnesses in a world that needs the truth of Jesus in whom Satan is blinded. Lord, may we stand tall, stay humble, And love as you love. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.